stealing in as relapse hums above the den. It's hard to know if this will be the Welcome to episode 419 of the Thinking Poker Podcast. From Catonsville, Maryland, I'm Andrew Brokus. I will be joined shortly by Carlos Welch and by Ed Miller, who I believe were both in Las Vegas, Nevada at the time of the interview. I'm not going to take too much time for this intro because it's an Ed Miller episode, so it's a very meaty interview. There's not a lot of poker strategy in the interview, but there's a lot of sports betting strategy, which you may know from our last interview with Ed is his current focus, has been his focus for a few years now. Uh, He just wrote a new book called Interception, which will be available starting Tuesday, October 17th. So by the time you're listening to this show, unless you're one of the very earliest listeners, it probably will be available. Uh, You'll hear me say this at the beginning of the interview, but I truly have very little interest in betting sports. I don't intend to do it myself, Um, but I found the book fascinating and most of the interview is about why, so I won't go into a lot of detail now, but um, I think if, if you are at all interested in gambling or gambling theory or just how stuff works in in general. Uh, I think this is an interesting piece just on what the current landscape of sports betting looks like and how modern sports betting sites operate. Uh, Ed is a fantastic resource for that. If you are actually interested in making money by betting on sports, he does have some (laughs) insights into how to do that as well. Um, But I I think that that's not necessary to enjoy this interview. Um, It's hard for me to imagine that there are a lot of people listening who don't know who Ed Miller is, but I guess he's been out of the poker world for a little while, so maybe there are some. Um, Ed was a professional poker player for probably 15 years or or so, um, or at least that was one of the main ways that he made money. He's written a number of poker books. He's been on our show. I mean, at this point, he's probably rivaling Tommy Angelo and is just behind Carlos in terms of our most frequent guest of, of all time. Uh, he's always a great interview, um, very fun, very entertaining. Uh, he has written a number of poker strategy books, and we've interviewed him about those uh, many times. So if you are interested in, you know, if you enjoy this interview and you want to uh, get poker theory poker strategy from Ed. Um, you can check our archive and I'll link them in the show notes, some of our earlier interviews with Ed, which are more poker focused, but there's a lot of, you know, analogizing uh, since Carlos and I, of course, are, are mostly poker focused of, you know, how to, how do poker skills apply in the sports betting world or what are some similarities and some differences between uh, winning money at poker and winning money at sports. For more poker strategy, you can also join our Patreon, patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily. That will get you five days a week or three days a week, depending on the tier you sign up for, strategy segments from Carlos and me. So that'll be you know 10 to 15 minutes of the two of us talking strategy. We get right into it. There's none of this preamble stuff. Uh, we talk about hands that people, including you, if you're a patron, uh, submit to us. And we also answer just theory questions or general questions that people have about poker 
We have a lot of fun recording them. People have a lot of fun listening to them. If you enjoy this show even a little bit, I think you will like the Thinking Poker Daily even more. It's kind of you know the, the best of what we do, I would say. And you can sign up for that at patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily. It is a great way to support this show. Now, please enjoy our interview with Ed Miller. Good morning, Ed. How you doing? Pretty good. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, well, I'll just say off the bat then, um, I've never placed a sports bet. I'm, I'm guessing, Carlos, you've also never placed a sports bet? I did. I placed several of them. You've probably bet on MMA, haven't you? I've, I've, I bet uh, one long shot that didn't come through and then one sure bet that didn't come through. <laughs> and that's about it. Sounds I like bet. you're natural, Carla. So, so it, it might find this uh, interesting. So the the first bet I made was a long shot. I bet a draw on um, Mayweather Pacquiao. Oh, okay. Because my, my, my theory was there's no way that, like that fight made so much money for them that they would want to do it again. And I think if Mayweather won, they wouldn't do it again. And there's no way Mayweather would lose um, just based on like, you know, I'm pretty sure like boxing feels like it's so rigged. So like even if Pacquiao won, they wouldn't let Mayweather lose, but maybe they would take a, a Mayweather, maybe he would sign off on a draw for like, you know, the next fight they would have made, you know, even more money than they made the first time. And it was like, I can't remember what the odds were, but I put like 50 bucks on that and that didn't happen. Uh, and then the other one was um, uh, Jake Paul and Ben Askren. Okay. Like in that in that one, I was like, there's no way this guy can knock out a guy that actual fighters couldn't knock out. And they knocked him out within like, you know, two minutes. So yeah. I thought like I, I didn't think he would win. Um, but I thought there's no way he would get knocked out. So I bet like, you know, he would lose a decision or something like that. But no, he got knocked out immediately. So that that was like the end of my like, you know, trying to guess the outcome of sporting events. Yeah. Yeah, that, that Mayweather-Pacquiao fight felt to me like Bitcoin, where my entire social media was talking about how it was just like free money and what a good opportunity it was. And and then, you know, it actually had, and I, I did not act on it. And then it actually happened and everyone was talking about how much money they made from it. And I felt very left out. Yeah. Those two were done through Sportsbook, but I, Sportsbook, but I also bet um, just at a house party watching uh, Pacquiao and um, Tim Bradley. And I... I bet like $20 just like, you know, uh, with a guy who was also at the party and we watched the fight and Pacquiao clearly won that fight. And I was just rubbing my hands together, ready to collect. And then the judges say that Bradley won. Like, I still don't know what was going <laughs> that. Like, I watched that fight. Everybody who watched that fight knows that Pacquiao won. But somehow... There was one guy at that house party who was adamant that Bradley was going to win, and I think he made off for like two hundred bucks that night. I think I think you should start the boxing bad beats uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I should do is like go with my intuition and then bet the opposite, and then I would just win every time. <laughs> That's funny. I, I don't intrinsically uh, care that much about sport. I don't really intend to to place sports bets, uh, but I thought I should look over the book a little bit just to you know 
have, have some idea of what to talk to you about. Um, and I started in on it and I, I couldn't put it down. It's truly, it's, it's so, I mean, both well-written, I think it's very like entertaining and, and funny and stuff, but it's also, it's extremely interesting. Like it, it appeals to the, um, the, the gambler uh, aspect of, or the, the part of me that's like interested in, in gambling theory, um, but also the kind of like systems theory, just like how things work. Uh, I, I think it's fascinating. Well, thank you. That's, that's, uh, I'm, I, I'm surprised and uh, humbled to hear this. So I appreciate it. Uh, well, and for, for people who are interested in in sports betting or potentially making money from sports betting, um, just at, at the top of this, you should probably give people a little overview of like what, um, who the book is intended for and, and how you intend it to be used. Yeah. So, so my background in the, uh, in sports, I, I got involved in sports about eight years ago. I started again. I, and, uh, I ended up, uh, founding a company and the the company was uh i, I basically created uh, statistical models to model all the major american sports so uh football games you know baseball games basketball and hockey basically just simulation models simulate the game uh and the goal of that was to make uh betting lines basically to create estimates for probabilities of how every game will come out from any particular point in the game in about five years ago, the Supreme Court, there was a there was a federal law. I don't know if your uh, listeners know, but there was a federal law. I, I just think this federal law is hilarious. The federal law was basically like sports betting is illegal throughout the United States, except in Nevada. That was like the federal <laughs> law. And, and then there were a couple of, it was like Montana had a little carve out and Delaware or something. There were like. And, and New Jersey was like, what? <laughs> so, like, what are you talking about, federal government? Like, Nevada, what did they do? So, did it wasn't it New Jersey who did something? Like, New Jersey challenged it, they challenged the federal law. No, 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 but I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like, what did Nevada do to be allowed to do this? It was, what did New Jersey do to be disallowed from? from doing this right <laughs> right exactly right yeah exactly yeah new jersey like was like dude we want it too late what do you mean only the bet well no but i mean like historically i think new jersey used to have sports betting right and did they i don't i don't know that they did have sports maybe they did i you, you might even know this history better my, i mean I, I i don't i don't know but this this i my my like vague understanding of this was that new jersey had it and it was like highly controlled by the mob and uh essentially the federal government was like this is no good and and they shut it down and i will was, refrain from any new jersey related slander <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Nevada sports betting famously has no no connection to the mob whatsoever. So, <laughs> of course not. Of course not. Right. Exactly. So anyway, the point is that the Supreme Court struck this law down. That's what happened. And all of a sudden, any state could legalize sports betting if they wanted to. And what happened was the sports betting that we have in Nevada is actually quite different from what. Uh, had evolved over the years in other parts of the world, particularly the UK. In the UK, the sports betting is regulated much more liberally and and, and was available. So these sort of large international, roughly UK-based betting conglomerates that had developed and served not just the UK, but much of Europe and uh, other parts of the world too. You know, they're technology companies. They're trying to deliver a sports betting experience that is you know, highly, highly technologically demanding. You know, they want to offer bets on zillions of different games at any one time, Chinese basketball and Danish rugby. And like, I mean, like, you know, they want to offer bets on everything all the time. They want odds up all the time. 
you know, they want they want you to be able to bet, okay, it's the 32nd minute. Now it's the 33rd minute. Now it's the 30. They want you to have constantly updating odds on everything. And, you know, this is technologically demanding. It's it's also like mathematically demanding. It's intellectually demanding. I mean, it's the 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 more you want, the the bigger this problem becomes. So it's essentially became a, a technology industry. Um, sports betting in particular, as opposed to, I would say, you know, poker, for instance. I mean, poker is a, a much, much, much simpler problem. And, and I'm not saying that to, like, denigrate the online poker companies, but, like, you know, it's a game. The rules are clear. You, you know, you make the table, you draw the little graphics, you deal with the cards. Maybe there's a little, you know, you have a, t- you know, whatever. There's some innovations, but it's, like, a much smaller problem space than I want to offer betting on every sporting event worldwide at all times, right? It's just, it's just, it's just a massively bigger problem. Well, and you see that, like, if, if you look at the difference between what did poker stars look like 15 years ago, what does it look like now? It doesn't look that different compared to what did a sports book look like 15 years ago and what does a sports book look like now? Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so, so it turns out that, you know, so basically I was like, well, Hey, there's a huge lack of, American sports in this, honestly, there, there's a glare. This was our, our bright idea five years ago. Uh, we said there's, you know, there's basically a massive uh, gap, a U.S. sized gap in the industry, technology wise, for the American sports. And we can fill that gap because we have this experience pricing American sports because um, that was what we had done. So we started a business and we basically were going to sell our pricing. Um, we did. We still have the business <laughs> exists to this day. Um, and uh, yeah, and so you can. Uh, so that was our idea. And and that's my background. So for the last five years, I've been kind of on the industry side, trying to offer this constant up to the second pricing on all different types of bets on all the major American sports. So that's my background. And the the, the goal of the book is to kind of introduce the reader to this industry, you know, the the American reader is is probably used to Nevada style sports betting, which is not this. It's very much like, you know, there's a number, there's a price, it's on the big board. Someone writes it in dry erase marker. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I, again, I'm, I, I'm exaggerating for effect a little bit, but Nevada was definitely kind of a little uh, time capsule in all this. Uh, through the years and 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 the technology for various reasons that was being developed overseas didn't make it into Nevada. Yet at the same time, Nevada was still very much the center of the American sports betting universe, right? Through through all this time. So there's been this massive change where all these technology companies have basically rushed into the country with their technology solutions. And that's what the book's about. The book's about a primer to how that industry works, how the technology works, how it's put together. And then you know, basically how to find flaws in the technology to, to, to make money betting. That's, that's basically what the book's about. The, the analogy that you used, if I'm remembering correctly, in the introduction was kind of like thinking about it the way a hacker thinks about getting into a computer system. Um, and, and that was some of the stuff that I found more interesting was just the, the, the technical explanation of where do these numbers come from? You know, if, if I want to know what is the chance of, uh, you know, some, some, basketball player scoring so many points in a game that the team ultimately loses uh you know how do they come up with a number like that and and get it in real time right so a lot of people like they approach sports betting without thinking about who's on the other side of the bet right like it's like you wouldn't play poker right like if you're playing a poker hand the other person in the hand with you is i don't know 
you know, Phil Galfon or whatever, name, 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 uh, 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 someone we think is smart at poker, right. Versus, you know, your average drunk guy at two in the morning and, you know, you would think about and play your hand completely differently. You would make plays against the drunk guy that you say, okay, well, I'm just going to bet my big hand for value and maybe he won't notice and will just, just pay me off. Whereas with Paul Galfon, you, you say, no, well, that's, you know, I need to play GTO or whatever. I mean, that's the whole point of GTO is, is, is basically play in a way that you have a smart person on the other side and they're going to, right. And, and, and the thing is that, is that that dynamic, the, you have to know who's on the other side of this bet is incredibly important in every form of gamble. But somehow in sports betting, people forget that part. And people just think, oh, I'm just going to make my statistical model and, you know, in a vacuum. And then I'm just going to, and they don't think about like, who's on the other side of that, who's taking that bet. And, and to some extent, they don't think about it because it's not a person. You don't see the person's face. It's just this sort of screen with numbers on it. But there's a person that's making those numbers, right? How they make those numbers really, really matter. You know, depending on whether you're going to have a good bet or not. And if some of those numbers, like, for instance, if you're if you're looking at just the main uh, pricing on, say, the Bears game this weekend. Well, how does that number come to be? If Bears are, you know, minus two and a half this weekend. OK, well, where does that number come from? That number, it goes through a process we call price discovery, where there's basically a lot of extremely smart gambling nerds, (laughs) we may or may not be familiar with the type, uh, who spend all of their time and effort trying to figure out exactly how much of a favorite the Bears should be this weekend. And if they think the price is off by 5%, they bet it. And then so what happens is that price is basically negotiated between all the nerds that actually take this seriously, that two and a half on the Bears game. And and therefore, it's it's a pretty good estimate, right? Like it, it's like if every smart poker player in the world got together and decided exactly how a hand should be played, the strategy they came up with would be pretty good. Does that is that a good analogy, right? And therefore, if you came and said, "I'm good at poker, I'm just gonna play my hands," you know, and I'm gonna beat. The, the the meeting of the minds between every smart poker player, whoever, you know, <laughs> so on one hand is me. And on the other hand is every smart poker player in the world <laughs> discussing the hand and choosing how to play it. Like I'm going to get my ass kicked, right? Like I got no shot to beat that. Right. And this is, and that's roughly the dynamic. So if you're like, Oh, bears minus two, man, that quarterback looked like, well, they know the quarterback looked like crap last week too, you know? So those are like, the hardest types of bets to win at at this, because you're basically trying to bet against all the smart nerds to do this. As opposed to if you go to, or even an in-play bet, the moment the game starts, the dynamic changes completely because the moment the game starts, the nerds all stop more or less. There's, there's no more nerds betting once the game starts for it. It's more complicated than that, but that's basically the case. So, uh, and what takes over pricing the game from that point is me <laughs> and my model, you know, well, and it's that. not actually me personally. <laughs> it's, it's someone we hired for our company whose job is to watch the game and to use the software I helped create to price the game, to watch the game uh, and, and, and price it. And so you're no longer betting against 
all the smartest nerds in the world, you're betting against Ed Miller's wonky software and 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 the guy we hired, the very smart person that I have, you know, obviously a lot of respect for because we hired and we think we'll do a good job, but that person operating the software, that's who you're betting against, right? And that's very different than betting against every smart person in the world's opinion, right? So so that's kind of a a, a brief, you know, ish <laughs> uh, explanation for for why it's so important to understand what's on the other side of the bet. Well, it seems like to, to extend that poker analogy a little bit, um, if, if I'm understanding this correctly, the, the thing that people think is giving them an edge uh, of like, oh, well, the weather is going to be kind of bad and so-and-so quarterback doesn't play well in bad weather or um, just, just, or like the thing you mentioned, the, the quarterback looked bad last week. Or like the, the, the idea that people have in their minds of like where their edge is coming from when they're betting on these things would be kind of the equivalent of if I were playing against that you know collective wisdom of all the best poker players in the world. And I was like, well, but I kind of acted like I had a bad hand on an earlier street. So they're not going to believe that I actually had a good hand. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and so you're thinking you're beating these people because you like showed a bluff two hands ago. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And I think it's important. You know, you, you mentioned that this is wonky software that that you put, and, and maybe by wonky you just meant sort of like eggheaded. I'm being self-deprecating. <laughs> I, I think our software is excellent. <laughs> I want to be clear. <laughs> well, but I mean, but just the software in general that that does this, not necessarily yours, but um, but you know that it is put together under a lot of constraints, and it's not going to be as good at doing some things as as others, and um, that's part of where the edge comes. It's like the the companies are aware that the software isn't perfect, uh, or it's not even optimized, right? And it's an impossible problem. Right. right. It's an it's an impossible thing. I mean, if you go to a major sports book now and open, there's literally thousands of different bets you can make right now. Right. Like literally on all sorts of different sporting events all over the world. And they're basically saying we have estimated the probabilities of every one of these several thousands of events occurring to within a tolerance of five percent. Right. We've gone, we've gone 4,000 for 4,000 on estimating every probability in the universe of sports today within a tolerance of five. I mean, it's obviously nonsense, right? You, it's impossible. And then, and then we're going to have it right up to the second 24-7. I mean, it's just, that's just not a thing if you think about it that way, right? It's just not possible. And so, you know, it's sort of an impossible promise that the sports folks have made that they can do that they, they don't they know they can't do that right so they're you know on the lookout for people who want to take them up on that promise and <laughs> basically say i'm gonna find out where you messed up and and the answer is yeah there are spots where they messed up right at all times you know and and anyone who dedicates themselves to kind of cherry picking through and finding those spots is gonna find them right so yeah although it sounds like they're also going to find you pretty quickly if you dedicate yourself to doing that. well they try to and 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 here's where we're yes exactly so so basically the the sports books kind of defense again i mean so you know betting is potentially uh an exercise in exponential growth right like it's you know we all know the stories about how you know so and so college kids started with 50 bucks playing you know one cent two cent poker and now two years later they're already a millionaire right why does that work? Exponential growth. You win, 
and then you go up at stakes and then you win more and you go up at stakes, you win more, go up at stakes. Well, obviously the same thing can happen in sports betting too. So the sports books are potentially at the mercy of any kid with 10 bucks and willingness to go through their betting all the time and take all the good bets. I mean, they're, they're completely powerless to stop that person from turning $5 into literally millions in a short period of time. Except if they stop you, <laughs> except if they say no, thank you, go away. I mean, that's their only defense. Ultimately, if they want to, if they want to offer the betting menus that they do, that's their that's their defense. And yeah, so that's what they do. That's they they have basically uh, systems set up trying to uh, protect themselves from people from people doing this. Now, the the thing is, a lot of people kind of make it easy on them because there's sort of patterns of human behavior. And a lot of people are not a lot of people either are under the illusion that nobody's watching or that nobody's trying to stop this or they can get away with it. So they'll just do the most obvious things. Right. Like they'll you know, the the example I give. In the, I mean, I remember there were these people who uh, bonusing was huge. I don't know. I'm really dating myself now, but like in early online casinos. Right. So like, I don't know, 20 years now. And there was this whole thing where the online casinos would offer you a $5,000 deposit bonus, $10,000 deposit bonus, like ridiculous, enormous bonuses. But you would have to play off your deposit, you know, 10 or 20 or 50 times or whatever, right? So, but they kind of didn't restrict it from there. So what people would do, and, and the EV of the bonus was like substantially greater than the EV lost playing the gambling game. And so people wanted to lock in the win. So they would just bet like red and black simultaneously on roulette, you know? through until the bonus was up or they would I, some of these sites actually had automated blackjack where you could just turn it on and say bet a dollar a hand go and it would play all the hands for you with perfect basic strategy you could go to sleep away say play exactly ten thousand hands for a dollar a hand and go and then you'd wake up and your balance would be exactly you know whatever the ev loss of your <laughs> gambling strategy plus or minus whatever right and yeah that locks in a bonus but guess what that's really obvious what you're doing <laughs> anyone who looks at your behavior for two seconds is going to be like i don't like that guy. <laughs> right and they're going to kick you out you know so whereas there's other ways to realize the exact same you know ev that are complete much 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 less obvious right but what is it it requires you to gamble a little bit you have to be willing to lose but if you do embrace the volatility and you kind of understand what they're what behaviors they're looking for and what what behaviors are not, you know, you can kind of last a lot longer. I would say this reminds me of um, of poker cheats getting caught, and, and maybe it is kind of the same phenomenon. But uh, I, I've seen a lot of otherwise smart poker players who will say things like, and I, I'm very much channeling Nate here, but uh, you know, will say things like, "Oh, I don't really see a lot of cheating in the games that I play in." It's like, well, I mean, that might just be that you're playing with good cheaters, right? Exactly. And, and you think about the way that the the people like on um on Ultimate Bet and, and Absolute Poker back in the day, like one of the reasons they got caught was that they called a river bet with ten high. They shove it in your face. They're cheating you. Yeah. Yeah. And in in like this like the biggest tournament that the site was going to offer all year, and and they made it an absurd river. <laughs> it was like they rub your nose in it. They say. We're cheating you, you know. <laughs> exactly. And then you, so you have to wonder, like, well, are all cheaters that stupid? Or like if no smart cheaters have ever been caught, right. should we conclude that there are no smart cheaters? Or <laughs> so, so I, I want to be clear that winning at sports betting is not cheating, but at the same time, 
uh, yeah, there's there's ways to do it that are that are dead obvious what you're doing, and there's ways to do it that are almost impossible to figure out. The people that get kicked out constantly guess what they're doing. <laughs> they're doing obvious things. I mean, you know, and 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 to be fair, I think most people's tendency is to do the obvious thing. You know, for various reasons. There's 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 greed, right? In in your example, there's why not pick the biggest surest thing, right? Why not? Why not win the biggest tournament? You know, with ten high. I mean, right? A lot of people are tempted by that. I mean, in in running our business, for instance, they, we ran into people who, you know, so our sort of specialty as a business was offering in play betting. So basically, we uh, created pricing on, you know, every major American sport throughout a, every game. There were people who would sit there and at specific baseball games would jam in a bet every time the team hit a home run. We were we were slightly slow on being notified of home runs on a on some games and their angle was let's get this bet in 2 seconds before they realize it was a home run, right? Well, guess how long it took us to figure out what they were doing. <laughs> they bet one they literally they do it once and you're like, "Wow, that was suspicious." <laughs> right? The first time you're already suspicious, right? And then the, the moment they do it a second time, you're like, well, I know what you're doing, right? <laughs> That's literally how obvious a lot of people are. They don't, you know, and 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 because and, they don't, you know, whereas what if they just bet a fly out sometimes, you know, a little bit before it happens, you know? I mean, that's a bet That's you could beat us on, you know, I mean, a fly out moves a winning percentage of a team by a meaningful amount. I lead off the sixth inning with a fly ball to left field. It gets caught. I mean, if you see that before we update the price, that's a winning bet. Are we going to pick up that you're doing that? It's going to take us a lot longer <laughs> to figure out that you're doing that, especially if you only do it every so often, that if you bet every, if you jam every home run down. I mean, it's just, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, it's just, is that cheating or not? I mean, t in my mind, that is sort of cheating the game. That is sort of cheating sports betting if you're trying to, you know, beat us on that. But there's all kinds of other things that there's a popular uh, type of bet called a single game parlay now, right? And a single game parlay is where you can bet on multiple things happening in the same game. So you could say, okay, I'm going to bet on this guy to score, you know, it's the NBA game. I'm going to bet on the, this guy to score over 26 and a half points. And I'm going to bet on his team to win the game. And I'm going to bet on the total to go over 222 and a half. And I'm going to bet on this other guy to, to have two and a half blocks or more or whatever. Right. So and you get a list of games that basically your bet wins if they all win and your bet loses if any one of them doesn't win, right? The question is, how often does each of these things happen in the game, right? How how many games do all the things happen, right? Well, the outcomes are correlated. If the bets are unrelated, you just multiply, right? So if you say, if this team has a 50% chance or this team has a 50% chance of winning, well, if you put them on the same ticket, you multiply 50% by 50%, you get 25%, you get three to one odds, boom, you're done. Right. You put a little hold on it. You say two point eight to one odds and, and you're done. You offer the, the bet. Right. And you're you're basically not going to get beat on it, you know, as a sports book. But now I want to offer all these odds on correlated outcomes. Well, if I bet Patrick Mahomes throws four touchdowns and I bet on the Chiefs winning, well, those are related. <laughs> you know, if Patrick Mahomes throws four touchdowns, the Chiefs are probably going to win. 
And and if the Chiefs win, there's a better chance that Patrick Mahomes throws four touchdowns than zero, for instance. Or you know, then the question is, well, how related are they? And that's a complicated mathematical question, right? Because especially if you have these menus where there's hundreds of options and you can select any options, any connection of options you want. I mean, this is this is how this works. You're laughing, but this is this is the product that they're offering, right? And it's it's an incredibly difficult math problem, you know. Once it once you start to to offer any reasonable like mix and match combination of outcomes and guess what there's flaws and so 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 how do they price that they have a mathematical model that prices it that's how it works right they have they have a model where you submit your six selections and the model goes beep boop beep boop and then (laughs) gives you an answer and those are your odds and and i mean that getting that model perfect is is impossible you know if they want to give you sufficiently flexible options so when you say this is the product that they offer i mean a little bit it's not right because some of these bets they don't want you taking like they're they're there but you can get booted pretty quickly if you're actually taking them right well right again it depends on so let's say you're in the u.s right what kind of customer is a major u.s sportsbook working for well they're looking for someone who wants to bet on football and basketball basically (laughs) some baseball thrown in Right. That's their target customer. Their target customer wants to bet on football, basketball, maybe some baseball, maybe some MMA. Right. That's what that's their target customer. Their target customer does not want to bet on Danish soccer, but they offer Danish soccer. Why do they offer Danish soccer? Because if they don't offer Danish soccer, somebody's going to say, hey, I wanted to bet Danish soccer and you don't have it. And they do. I'm going to go there. So they offer data soccer, but they don't actually want you to bet data side. It's there for one. It's just, it's there so they can say they have it. It's it's a reasonable way to think about it. If you go there and bet the crap out of their data soccer offering, and oh by the way you're winning at it, no, they don't want you. That's not what they want you to do. But if you're betting football, if you're betting NFL, their core offering. Yeah, that's what they want you to bet. I mean, you're, they're there so that you can bet in play NFL games. That's what they want. They're there so that you can bet their single game parlay on NFL. So they do want you betting that stuff. Sometimes, even on those sports, they get a little in the weeds. They don't actually want you to bet the, the weed stuff. Like, you know, like, for instance, baseball. Some of these baseball menus are a little crazy. They let you bet on you know, over two RBIs, over three RBIs, over four RBIs. I don't think their target customer is betting like over three RBIs very often. <laughs> you know, it's just not a on a on a on a Tuesday in July. I mean, that's just you know, that's just not their target customer, right? So you got to think about. But as long as you think about like who is their target customer, what are they trying to offer them, and then if you more or less behave and bet the things that their target customer is likely to want to bet and and you don't shove it down their throat that you're you know taking advantage of something i think in a lot of cases you could have a pretty pretty good leash to to do your worst it just it, it runs so contrary to my um because i really have no interest in gambling uh, even a poker like my, my interest in poker is not the like the ups and downs of uh the the, the, the swings and and so to it does. I mean, I guess that's the point. It requires you to think about what do gamblers want. And, and I found that one of the more interesting uh, passages, the bit about the um, you know people want to sweat. So 
uh, recreational players are much more likely to bet overs than unders because you always have a sweat with an over and an under you could be dead, you know, 20 minutes into the game. I think a great resource for this is Lyman. I mean, Lyman for 20 years has been, has been extremely gracious with kind of shaking all the nerds and saying, dude, (laughs) if you want to win money at this, like you got to actually gamble with these people. I don't necessarily endorse every last word that guy says, but I, I do like him. And and he's been amazing. I, I finally muted him on Twitter, but it was Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. But but that's a point he's made consistently, I mean, longer than I've even been in gambling. I mean, he predates me and he's hammered that nail, I don't know how many different ways. Is if you want to win a gambling, you gotta gamble. You gotta get if you if you're willing to gamble with people, like genuinely willing. They'll lose their money to you, but you got to give them a gamble. You can't just hit them up. <laughs> you know, they just they just won't want to gamble with you. And and I think that's you know extremely true. And 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 that thinking holds over even when you're dealing with corporations. They don't want to lose to you if you're knitting it up. <laughs> but if you gamble with them, they can't necessarily tell if you have an edge or not. They know you're beating them, but. You know, it's not so clear that you're grinding them down, you know, and you show up and you go, they invite you to the, you know, they say, oh, you're one of our best customers. Come out to the Raiders game. We've got a box this weekend. And you come out, you look like you or you look like me, whatever. And I've got my glasses. Hi, <laughs> you know, I mean, they're going to be like, all right. But, you know, you look like Lyman. You got your big hair and your cigar and you're drinking. And I mean, they don't know if Lyman's beating them or not. <laughs> How are they going to know? Right? It's the same idea. It's the same stuff. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of the thing with the gift shop selling the How to Beat the Casino at Blackjack book, where it's like they're, some of their money is being made from people who think that they're making money or who, you know, maybe they, they get excited about the prospect that they could make money from sports betting and are kind of like trying to be sharp at it, but actually aren't that good at it. Like how, how much is that a, a factor? Candidly, I, I love my readers, but I would bet that a majority of the readers of my new book, which is called Interception, by the way, <laughs> Interception, The Secrets of Modern Sports Betting, uh, available on Amazon starting Tuesday, October 17th. Yeah, I think the majority of readers of the book will fall into that category. You know, it's mostly, I mean, it's like you said, it's its its intended to be entertaining, right? It's intended to be a little like how the sausage is made on the sports betting industry uh, with some interesting kind of gambling insights. But what percentage of people who read that book do I expect to go on to win $100,000 from or more from American sports books? I mean, obviously single digits, right? So, you know, yeah, most of the people who are interested in this are interested as a entertainment or an intellectual exercise more than actually I do not expect there to be a, a an enormous onslaught on the, the US sports book industry in response to the publishing of my book. You know, I, I think most of my readers will read it and be like, well that's interesting and then go about their lives. You know? Yeah. But I think I mean, that I mean that also answers the question of like why does the sports book why why would they be incentivized to give you some rope, even though you do have some of the profile of a, a sharp gambler? Because like they are they are making money from people who think they're sharp gamblers. For sure. I mean, they have it, they have a built-in edge on every I mean, you you have to know what you're doing to win. Like they there there are winnable bets all over the place, but it's very easy to to convince yourself that you have a winning bet when you don't, for sure. I mean, they put a healthy hold on every market. I mean, that's their defense, right? They say, they say, I think. This is going to happen 40% of the time. So you're going to pay, you know, 43% and, you know, 63%. 
that built in 3% they add to each side, if their guess of 40% was anywhere within that margin of error, I mean, there's no winning bet there, right? And and that's true on most of the bets. Yeah, it's it's very easy to to not win, <laughs> for sure. Well, and I'm, I'm sure that they have to swear that the opposite of this is true. But I mean, in fact, I imagine there are some people, just because there is variance, even if you're playing well, who at their best could be very sharp. But if they experience some negative variance, you know, may uh, punt, you know, try to get even or uh, essentially like start engaging in, in problem gambling. You apparently are familiar with gamblers. <laughs> <laughs> and would you say starting from scratch, would it be? easier to become a winning poker player or winning sports better? Yeah, interesting question. So I guess I would say I think they're both kind of similar in difficulty. And I want to be clear, there's kind of how much work would it take to become a small stakes to win at small stakes, right? To basically, I'm going to go win at a live poker game in Texas, playing two fire, you know, wherever. You know, in California, I'm going to go to California and play two five or the equivalent, right? How how much would it take to win at that? Me, it took me three months, about I would say, starting from more or less scratch to where I'm pretty sure I was winning in the low stakes games, right? Not a lot of time. I mean, and that was not like three months of dedicated study. That was three months of picking it up as a hobby. Twenty years later you know, low stakes games have gotten at least a little bit tougher in that time, but there's way more learning resources out there. I mean, I think it's reasonable to say it's going to take you three months to learn to be a winning small stakes poker player. I think it probably would take you about three months to learn to be a winning sports better as long as you stick to trying to pick off the little mistakes that the books make, you know, that the the modern books on these, you know, it, as long as your approach is, I'm going to learn to comb through these menus and figure out where they make the mistakes and pick those off versus how long does it take to become a high stakes crusher? Well, most people never, <laughs> that's the answer. You know, the vast majority of people is never. And for the people that do, it takes years, right? I mean, it, it legitimately takes years for someone to gain the skill necessary to, to be competitive at the top level. And it's the same with sports bet, right? So if, if you want to become someone who legitimately can win, can engage with the lines where all the smart nerds in the world have, you know, kind of beaten it back and forth and they've come up with two and a half and you want to try to beat two and a half, that takes years. I mean, you've got to build statistical models. You have to become familiar with the markets. You have to, I mean, there's a huge learning curve. So I, it seems equivalent-ish. I mean, which one's harder? I don't know. But I, it seems kind of equivalent-ish. So the big difference with poker, in order for me to become a high-stakes crusher, I have to beat different people. Right? I'm, I'm not playing against the same people. Whereas I, or maybe your point is you are playing against different people because to, to play the higher stakes in sports, you have to be playing- Completely different. You have to be playing against the nerds. Is that the- Yes. Okay. So so there, there's not an opportunity to bet $100,000 on- Danish soccer is that the idea? Uh no, there's not. Okay, so if so the only way to, the only way to make like very large bets is to do that on an NFL game. So the only ways to make very large bets are either yes to basically play with the crushers or to essentially play a giant ruse where you convince a sports book that you're an extremely rich whale 
and convince them to raise your limits and raise your limits and raise your limits and raise your limits and then stick it to them. But even then, they're very, very aware that they're vulnerable to that, too. Yeah, there's no it's not a thing where you could bet a hundred thousand dollars on on Danish soccer, basically. It's not a thing. That's I was kind of wondering, like, is, is the skill being better at choosing bets or is the skill being better at hiding what you're doing? It, again, it depends on your approach. The two important sports betting skills are identifying good bets and disguising your good bets. <laughs> I would say those are the two skills. Right. And and they remain skills no matter what level you're at. One of the biggest sports betting scores that I'm aware of was uh, I'm not going to go into detail on exactly what what the angle was or the person. But basically, there was somebody who had figured out that a major American sport had a major type of betting line mispriced in, in a subset of games. And they figured this out 20 years ago, let's say. So it's so let's call it five to ten percent of the games, the entire market was getting it wrong. Everyone was wrong. Nobody had picked up on that this was wrong, but it was a small enough number of games that nobody knows. But it was a major sport and a major market. So basically, this was the big leagues. You could kind of bet as much as you wanted on. And one person figured it out. And then his job was to bet on it and make money doing it, but not let literally anyone else figure out what he was doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if you just bet that and then you win, well, all the people you bet against figure out that you're winning, right? And then immediately they say, well, what are you doing? (laughs) Right? And they scramble and they look through, they comb through all your betting and they try to reverse engineer what the heck you're trying to do, what what your angle is, what you're winning on. If you do that, you're going to get found out, right? People are going to figure it out. If you get enough people trying to figure out what you're doing, what this person did so well was they basically disguised those extremely good bets among a just a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> it is, I don't know any other way to say it. Ran, ran their mouth all kinds of different ways, saying all kinds of nonsense, uh, bet on all kinds of different things. Um, And at the core of it was this insight that was very real and where they had large edges where they could bet large amounts of money. And then everything else was, I I don't want to say everything else was cover. I'm sure there were other angles and other, but you know, you know, effectively you could say what was all cover for this so that other people wouldn't pick up on the signal, which was, really one angle and um yeah and this lasted for over a decade he basically had it all to him he basically successfully monopolized this uh for over for over a decade and that was i would say one of the highest levels of sports betting and so both components were important he had to identify the thing and he had to hide it from everybody right but and it's and it's also true at the low levels, right? At the low levels, I want to you know go to you know I call it Beaver Bet in the book, right? So I go to Beaver Bet and I've got all my betting menu and oh, I figured out that they can't price. Uh, you know, one of the examples from the book is they screwed up ninth inning prices on baseball, right? They just uh, they're pricing uh, there. There was a difference in rules between 
what happens when the game, when the home team doesn't bat in the ninth inning and when the home team does bat in the ninth inning. And the pricing is just wrong, and I could just make money doing this. Well, you have to A, figure that out, and then B, you have to bet it in a way that Beaver Bet doesn't say, oh, he figured out this ninth inning thing. Well, not only are we going to fix our ninth innings, but we don't actually want people who figure things like that out. Maybe he could go <laughs> bet somewhere else, right? So, yeah, so it, I would say there are two, the two skills are intertwined at all of for the, the models that are used, um, whether it's for the, the in-play bets like you do or for the, the parlays, how much do those differ? You know, like would the model for college football and for uh, NBA uh, or basketball rather uh, or NBA be different or, you know, NBA versus WNBA? Um, how would those models differ from one another? Or could you sort of say? Okay. Yeah, right. So So the way we did it, I mean, we would maintain separate models for every kind of league right so we had a separate model for nfl versus college football we had a separate model for nba versus college basketball uh what's different between them all i mean the, the the sports have substantial differences in nba for example one difference is the teams play to the lead much more in the nba than they do in college basketball right so in the nba if your team's up 20 points the way your team plays and the way the other team plays reacts to the fact that you're up 20 points a lot harder than your average college basketball team. In college basketball, you go up 20 points. They still kind of play their game, much more so than the, in the NBA. You know, they, they play to the score much more in the NBA. It, I don't know. I, hopefully I've explained that. Well, it's hard to capture that if you try to use the same model for both sports, right? Like, you're going to have the wrong answer for one of the two types of games up 20 if you don't really try to nail that. On the other hand, a lot of companies, let's say, let's say instead of there being two major types of basketball in the US, you're trying to deal in Europe and there are 30 different basketball leagues, right? There's the Serbian league and the Italian league and the this league and the that league. And I don't know the nuances of how they how the Serbian first division basketball teams play when they're up 20 points. I got no idea. I'm just gonna be honest with you. If you told me and tomorrow. You got to make lines, in-play lines for first division Serbian basketball. We're going to give you a data feed of what's happened in the game and go. <laughs> well, what would I do? I guess I'd take my college basketball model and hope for the best. <laughs> I mean, that's certainly where I'd start. And, uh, you know, and then maybe I'd fork it and, and watch some Serbian basketball and improve it over time. But but that's the thing. That, that's the sort of, like, actual business reality that you you come into in the industry is 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 they say okay great you have this but now we need that and you're like great you know and and this is a this is i've seen this in the u.s sports like i've definitely seen it so nfl was a sport that people bet in europe and it's not super popular but it's it has a presence there and people did bet it you know like recreational british people would bet nfl sometimes right all of these kind of European-based sports books all kind of had at least some work done on NFL. Well, college football is, I mean, ain't nobody care about Alabama. <laughs> Alabama, I'm sorry. They just don't, you know, and uh, certainly not outside the U.S. I mean, they, they do not care in France about, you know, Georgia and Tennessee, right? So potentially they were starting from scratch on that. College football is very different from NFL football in, in a number of ways. And, and so the first entrance to the U.S., basically said, we need college football stuff. What should we do? 
And their answer was exactly like just I described. They said, well, we got this NFL stuff. Let's just uh, use that and see what could go wrong. And, you know, and it, it gave some wrong, you know, and we kind of go into that in the book of exactly some of the ways that, that it was giving wrong answers and, and making bad prices for college football games. But yeah, so, you know, and then over time, you would expect them to it kind of fork the model, say, okay, we need something different. We need refinements for college football. And and even within college football, it's not a monolith. I mean, college football teams play very differently from one another, which is part of the problem with trying to make lines for college football. There's some teams with pro-style offenses where, you know, they got a great NFL distance quarterback running the offense, and some of them literally run the ball every time. <laughs> they just run, 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 you know, and, and it's, you know, creates two completely different dynamics as far as pricing, you know, certain scenarios. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, but yeah, that's, that's definitely uh, uh, an issue is where do you draw the line? If you want to expand into a new league or offer a new sport, you know, do you try to shoehorn your old model or do you build a new model? And, and then there's a squishy in between too. I I haven't gotten a chance to um, um, look at the book yet. Um, I'm kind of interested in um, the origin of the name interception. My wife came up with it actually. Oh, okay. okay. She, she and we. So book titles, book titles are always, uh, always hard for me. <laughs> I started. So I remember I I titled a book How to Read Hands at No Limit Hold'em. I remember that. This was <laughs> yeah. thirteen years ago. That's not a good title. <laughs> not a good book title. Uh, that one didn't sell as well as some of the later. Well, I got better at titling my books over, t- and and it got to a point where I would spend you know four or five weeks brainstorming titles. What's a good title here? Uh, you want it to be short and catchy, and you want it to kind of convey something about what's in the book. The reason why we call it an interception, obviously, it's a sports word, but it also, I, you know, the book's about. It's a little bit of you know, it's kind of like sports betting as hacking, right? It's like that's kind of the analogy introduced in the book it's 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 how do you attack this system this is a technology system and your goal is to attack the technology system and get what you want out of it right and so there's sort of you're you're using the system not as intended the intention is you go and get drunk and fire off some five dollar parlays and you lose that's the intention right and and so if you're trying to win you're not using the system as intended and yeah, that was that. That was the idea behind the title. Is this is this is interception? It's, it's sort of like things not going according to plan, right? If you <laughs> if you throw an interception, they, they've uh, the defense has outfoxed you on this game. So that, that was kind of the the idea behind. It. I like it. I think it's a good. Title. Yeah, you you reminded me that the course had a different title at one point. I can't remember what the original title was. I spent I spent so long trying to come up with that title. I don't know if it's good or not, but. But it, the book sold well, so so it's positive <laughs> reinforcement in on that one. But I thought about that time. I spent like two months brainstorming that title. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I like the title and I like the book and I like the title of the new book as well. Um, so good job this time uh, to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a very sharp answer. Uh, my wife came up with it because if it ends up being a good title, then you sort of. <laughs> look like a good guy for giving credit to your wife and it's a bad title you're like well it's not my fault right yeah can you enjoy watching sports you know can you just like crack open a beer and and watch a football game like a like a red-blooded american male yeah i can yeah for sure it's it's funny i so i always like sports like as a kid i i liked them and then i kind of in early adulthood i kind of lost interest i don't know 
Um, you know, they they kind of say, oh, it's kids' games, and I guess that's more or less how I feel about it. Like, like that's my level of interest. Like, I was a huge sports fan as a kid, and then as I hit adulthood, just less so. And now, definitely, my interest is more in the betting as a game aspect, like in the betting game versus the sport game, right? So I have a like Matt Davidow is my my partner in all this. Um, he's co-author on the book, and he's you know, I mean, he's been my partner from the very moment. He's basically who got me started in the sports uh, space eight years ago. And he loves the sports. Like, he's extremely knowledgeable, especially about football. Blows my mind how much he knows about football. And, yeah, I don't. I, I consume sports as, as a fan, more or less. I like, oh, he threw the ball that was a good pass, right? Like that's more or less the level I understand the actual sports on, uh, just honestly. And, and that's, that's the level I want to understand them on, you know? And whereas the betting, I, I take more seriously, right? Like the betting aspect, the game, the, to me, the betting itself is a, is, is a self-contained game. And I, I find that game more interesting than the, than the actual, than the, the gaminess of the actual sport. Yeah, but so like you, th this has not ruined your ability to uh, to enjoy sports. You're not just like seeing a bunch of numbers on the screen when you watch a, a game. Okay. Definitely not. And I think it's good because I marvel at the just absurd athleticism of it every time I do watch sports. It's just like they're so good. <laughs> <laughs> it just blows my mind how good they are. You know, like I mean, especially the NBA, man. I mean, I every time I watch an NBA game, I'm just like I these. These people are superhuman. It's just unreal how big they are, how fast they are, how I mean, it's just just insane, you know. So that that's kind of the level I appreciate sports on. So. That actually, I mean, I, there's not really any sports that, that I enjoy watching, but I've always been a little turned off from basketball for that reason, where it seems like more, I mean, I guess football is, is getting to be like this also, but um, it's almost like, not that you have to be a genetic freak to succeed, but that like literally just being a genetic freak can be sufficient. I don't think that's true anymore. No? No, I, I, I think that was true in 1985. I don't think that's true anymore. These people are, these people are genetic freaks and ridiculously athletic. I mean, it's, it's, if you're just a genetic freak, you wash out. But wasn't wasn't the thing where they like they found a guy who had never played football before who was like seven six or something, and they just like recruited him into the NBA? And is is, is that a a myth? I don't think that's a that's not a modern NBA thing, really. I don't know. I, I I mean, I don't. I'm not an expert on the NBA. Maybe there's somebody who kind of came in that way. But, no, this this wouldn't be like an obscure. If, if I heard about it, this wouldn't be an obscure thing. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, the, these guys are. Like they're seven feet tall and they're absurdly athletic. I, you should you should watch a modern NBA game. Just watch the game. You should go go in person to a modern NBA game and just be like, oh my god! <laughs> like they're they're so fast and they're. I mean, it's just I just I just <laughs> I, I just can't. When I see them, I'm just like I can't believe these people exist. The the time that I most enjoy or remember you know, most enjoying uh, watching sports, uh, at least as an adult, was with a friend who um, 
he had he had played college football and he coached a high school football team and i was watching a bit of a game with him and he was explaining to me i mean he didn't know a lot about poker but he was even telling me a little bit of like okay if i were covering this player i'd be looking for things like he tends to lean left and then go right you know just like tells essentially but he was explaining like the strategy of, of you know like here's what this player would be thinking at this time um i found that like that was the only time that i really like the, the, i guess the raw athleticism has not really appealed to me as much as the the strategy of the game and basketball has a ton of that too. Well, and and there's other low, there's all levels of basketball. Like we have a we have a WNBA team here in Las Vegas. I've actually seen more WNBA games live in person in the last ten years by a lot versus you know NBA. And they're obviously not quite as freakish. <laughs> you know, they're like freakish compared to me. I mean, a lot of them are like six four. I mean, I'm five eight, right? Like you know, I'm not. I, I'm not but they're not seven feet tall, right? So it's right. like. It's a different scale, and but it, it's they're extremely talented, and you kind of see the strategy too. Like you see that, you know. So it's it, it to me, it's a slightly different experience because you're not just, at least for me, I'm not just like completely blown away by the just physical absurdity of it, right? <laughs> they they seem like human beings. This is like human beings playing a game, right? You know, who who are very good at it and are are trying to optimize strategically and stuff, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. It's and, and college basketball is, is kind of the same. There's there's less less overwhelming freakishness at, at the college level. I wonder. OK, so I guess this will be like a good question, um, because all the people who I know are doing this uh, are also poker players. So do you think that gives you like just like understanding the poker strategy? Does that give you like an advantage in sports betting? For sure. I think so. I mean, I, I think I think there's a a, a huge gambling skill that crosses over instantly. I understood a lot about the way sports bet, like my sports betting education was pretty quick because of my gambling experience. And my gambling experience was basically almost all poker, you know, up until that point. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's the, the gambling concepts. I mean, I think the most important gambling concept of all is that you are betting against somebody else. To me, that's the corest gambling concept there is, is that you have a counterparty. There's somebody who's betting against you and they think it's a good idea. And you're, it's your job to figure out who the heck they are and why they think it's a good idea. It's always true. This is always true. No matter what form of gambling you're doing, that is an incredibly important exercise. And it's, it's not intuitive. This is not how most people enter these fields you do not approach that if you're a beginning poker player what do you think about you're thinking about the cards is a king good is a queen good is a you know okay i've got two of them now is that good like <laughs> you're not thinking about those other people at all you're not thinking okay he bet why did he bet who is he is he from texas like you're not thinking about any of that right like whereas like that's the core of it all. That's what matters, right? Like what matters is who is that person who's betting against you? Why are they bet? Why do they think it's a good idea to bet against you? You know? And sometimes the answer is they're dumb. <laughs> That's sometimes the answer, you know, sometimes the answer is they just hate you and they want to take your money. Sometimes the answer is they think they have an angle, right? And then your question is, well, what, what is their angle? Why do they think it's a good idea? What is their angle? You know, are they right about having an angle? Are they not right? That was second nature, that idea, when I came to sports. That got me past so many of the pitfalls I see so many people fall into with sports, is they don't think that way. They think, 
I have a price. My job is to my job is to come up with my own price, and then I compare it to this price. And if my price is better than that price, then I, you know, and it's like, no, you've got a person who wants to make a bet with you, and you got to figure out why that person wants to make a bet with you. And if they keep letting, if they keep betting with you, you got to figure out why they keep betting with you. You know, you got to figure out why someone else didn't bet that first. You know, like if you go into a store, I mean, this is an example we gave in the first book, but like if you go into, if you go into Target, right, and they have the like clearance rack, right, the, the everything's on clearance, right, and that, and that rack is half empty. You got to think about why is that stuff left? <laughs> <laughs> What is it, you know, if you tell them, oh, that looks good. Well, 5,000 people walked by that before you and didn't think it looked good. <laughs> so why do you think it looks good? You know, and, and I mean, that, I mean, that thinking is just so core, you know, that that's just the core of gambling. And yeah, I mean, to me, that poker, poker really nailed that into my head. And, and, you know, that keeps you out of a lot of trouble, I think, when you get into sports, so. I'm realizing I, I lied before when I said I hadn't placed a sports bet because I do remember in high school I had an acquaintance uh, who was a a big fan of the Bills and this was I forget exactly I guess it would have been like the mid '90s uh, the Bills I think made like three Super Bowls in a row they, but never they won. did yeah um, and I think I mean I was certainly not like a sharp better at, at the time but I guess I did have the idea that like oh this person just wants to bet on the Bills because he likes the Bills not because they're like exactly so you had no opinion on the Bills you just knew that guy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you didn't do that guy with a dummy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's the core of all of it. Well, this last bit we can leave on the air or not as, as uh, Carlos prefers, but um, I'm curious, Ed, do, do you know uh, where Carlos is right now? I have no idea. Uh, so you, you might not be up on, on the latest Carlos life updates, but they're pretty interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I'm in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not a van. I, I, I think I, I fell off the, the Carlos arc when it was van time. So, okay. So yeah. The closet. So I'm in the closet and this closet is in this house <laughs> and the house belongs to my new girlfriend. Uh, Congratulations. Who, thank you. Thank you. Gloria Jackson, Jackson, a fellow poker player and a, uh, um, a guest that we had on the show. Um, I guess this was like, it's like um, February or March. In March, yeah, so like seven months ago. So um, I basically reached out to her for an interview and we just kind of hit it off and just, you know, basically it was a a romance that was born from, you know, Pick It Poker podcast episode. Wow. <laughs> and so, you know, she basically got me uh, out of the car and, and now I'm living in a house and, you know, doing the... Um, that is quite the story, man. Yeah, yeah. In fact, like right before I was doing this, I was uh, at a uh, parent-teacher conference uh, because she she has kids. So now I'm like, you know, step that. So all right, yeah. So the last time we talked, I was in. I think I recorded my last episode with you from a car. Okay. <laughs> and so and so, yeah, my life has changed a lot since the last we talked. Well, that is uh, that's exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Thank I like you. the closet. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm in a bit of a closet myself. It's a sort of, uh, you know, intended for podcasting closet, but you know, it is what it is. But how's your boy? Ed? He's he's uh, getting pretty old now, yeah. He is. Uh, he's almost fourteen. Wow. And wow. he is. Uh, he is already. I told you, I'm five eight. He's already six foot, six one. 
He's gonna be in the NBA soon. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I you know, it's 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 definitely humbling when your kid towers <laughs> over you. You know, I mean, that moment, I was just like, I, I saw him creeping up on me, and I was like, oh boy. <laughs> no, we're there. Yeah, no. she has a a five year old and a seven year old uh, boys that. Um, the seven-year-old is pretty tall and, and his dad is tall, so he's probably going to yeah. be pretty tall as well. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll have that same experience at some point. But it's fun. It's fun. It, it, I mean, it's, you know, I, I would say it's definitely, uh, I, I know we've gone over my whole uh, foster care adoption story before, but it's, it's, it's definitely life-changing and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like a bucket list life item, I would say. You know, it's it's just fundamentally life is fundamentally different if you're a parent or not a parent. It's just neither one's right or wrong, but it's just it's just very different. My my calendar used to be full of coaching appointments. Now it's full of like, you know, parent teacher conferences, taekwondo, football. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you're right. Fundamentally different. Yes, it's it's fun. Have you read or have have you heard of this book, uh, Demon Copperfield, or Demon Copper Demon Copperhead? It won, I think, it won the National Book Award. It's uh, Margaret Atwood. Um, it, it's, I guess, vaguely based on or in, inspired by um, David Copperfield, the uh, Dickens. Yeah, Dick, I couldn't remember Charles Dickens' name. Yes, <laughs> the, the Charles Dickens novel. Um, but it's it's a, about a kid who uh, is orphaned and, and kind of is born in Appalachia in the you know poverty and drugs and whatnot and uh is, is orphaned and then ends up in the foster system and um, okay you know I, I i was already uh you know had a high opinion of, of you from what you had said of, of a parent but um after seeing this kid's experiences in the foster care system oh interesting. Um, yeah it sounds like he really hit the lottery with you yeah yeah it's a yeah it's a it's a it's a complicated thing for sure it's uh i don't know it's not for i i would definitely say foster care is not for everybody to deal with that because it's a whole huge mess. But uh, if you're so inclined and want to give it a shot, I, it's one of those things that it's rewarding for you and other people, or it's horrible. <laughs> you're rolling the dice. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a success story. That's not everybody, but I think it's a success story at this point. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks. It was great talking to you. And I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm loving the book. I'm probably going to read more despite the fact that you know, this is over and I'm probably never going to use the information in it, but it's just, uh, it's very interesting. <laughs> well, thank you. I honestly, I, I really appreciate that, that review. I, I, cause I, I mean, that's my writing, that's my writing goal is I, I want to write books that are entertaining first, really. Yeah. I mean, I truly, I, I think I didn't get a chance to work this in, um, while you were talking, but you know, you were talking about the, um, the, the nerds who are setting the, the lines through the, um, uh, and, and the, the, the way that you put this in the book, I actually wrote it down because I thought it was, it was so clever. Uh, these lines represent the collective wisdom of a small handful of Adderall addicted nerds. Indeed <laughs> <laughs> they do. Uh, so yeah, I, I just, it's very entertaining. <laughs> it's good catching up with you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. It's uh, always a pleasure. Okay. Bye guys. Of a car, my light of the fair passage of a bill, and the
sign us into law I know you want